Thank you so much for being a listener of the Deep Believer Show. We love our listeners, we pray for our listeners, and we love to hear from our listeners. So if you have anything you'd like to say, if you have any testimonies, or if you have any questions, leave us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. Again, we would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for being a listener of The Deep Believer Show. Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer Bagnashi with Deep Believer. I am so excited about our guest today. I started following her ministry about 12 years ago, and she is the reason why I started to learn so much about Halloween, not just Halloween, but the rituals and the power that's in every last thing that is done for Halloween. She is very raw. She doesn't sugarcoat anything like Jesus. You're going to want to hear what she has to say. Carol Karnacki, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a blessing. I'm so glad to be here. All right. So, Carol, let's start. How did you grow up? Did your parents know Jesus? And when was the first time you've ever heard the name Jesus? First of all, I grew up in a very violent home. Alcoholism, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse. The alcoholism was so bad, my father landed up in a mental institution. And once he left, we got very poor. Our house was infested with rats, head lice, no food. We used to learn as children how to break into other people's houses to get something to eat. My father would escape from the mental institution and come home. And I usually was the wrath of his anger because out of 11, there's 11 children. My father had and mother had 11 children. Um, he thought I wasn't his. So in his mental illness and in his state, he would come home and he would come after me. So many a times I took a beating. Some were very violent, very violent. I remember one time in the basement, he beat me so bad. I crawled across the floor. My back was bleeding. It was terrible, Jennifer. My mom, on the other hand, was very unhappy because she had all these children. There was no money. We were hungry. Her husband was in and out of a mental institution. There was no money. And she became very angry and unhappy because of her position. And again, out of 11 children, I seem to be right in the middle. I remember when I was a little girl, she used to cut my hair off. She used to just cut it right off because we would be infested with head lice. And mine was thick, as you can see. So she just takes scissors and cut it all off cut off the bangs. And in school, we were laughed at. Your father's mentally ill. Your mother's on the streets. The, you children dress ugly. You have nothing. And so at a very early age, I had no concept of Jesus. If you would have told me about father, I would have thought, really? That is my father? This is what fathers do? Beat you? Land up in mental institutions, alcoholism, abuse? And so I didn't have a very good concept of father and mother. I didn't have a very good concept of mother. I remember when I was a little girl, and this is a little hard, but I'm going to be, this is how bad it got. Because of all the abuse, sexual, physical, mental, emotional abuse, all of us wet the bed. Now, my mother had a lot of kids and we lived in a little tiny house and there was just a little tiny bathroom and we were uh, wetting the bed. I was especially and at night, it was so cold, Jennifer, and my father or my mother, if dad was away in the mental institution, she would put the furnace on 58. So we were freezing originally from Buffalo, New York. So I would be in bed and I would just wet the bed. And a lot of kids do that when they have emotional problems. And when she saw that I'd wet the bed, she became so angry. I was forbidden 
to drink anything after five o'clock. And so I went into the bathroom in desperation and I turned on the faucet, put it in my mouth and turned on the faucet, trying to get a drink and she heard it. And she told me that if I was drinking water, I was going to get a beating, which I was used to them. And so as a result of that, um, I didn't try anymore. So I started drinking the water out of the toilet. I got hepatitis A. I landed up in pretty bad condition. They never took me to a doctor, to a hospital. They simply put me into an isolated room. So all of this trauma, all of these things that I have to carry, what I did, Jennifer, is I broke away in my mind and created another personality to take the abuse, to take the lack of love, to take the living uh, conditions. It was really terrible. And again, dad would come home and um, very often, one time I remember I woke up, he had the house on fire. Uh, and when they, he was asked by the police why he did that, he said his wife was out all night. And so we lived in this terror. I left the house at 17 years old. I was pregnant with my first child. My mother bodily removed me from the house. I had my first child, Jennifer. I named her Marilyn after a girlfriend who had died and had her for a few months, took care of her, never hurt her, never abused her. I was immaculate, but I just was unhappy. I didn't know how to love because I didn't know what love meant. I didn't know. You can't define it. How do you define love when you've never felt love? So as much as I took care of her, as I did all my brothers and sisters, and they took care of me as we grew up, I just thought she was this bundle, like one of my brothers and sisters, and I took care of her. And then finally, one day I found out from a promiscuous behavior that I was pregnant for the second time. And I called my mother and she told me that she would send a nurse over, a retired old nurse who would give me a, a legal abortion. I won't your go mother, into your mother? Yeah, my abortion? mother sent the woman over. Yeah. Oh, wow. Jen, and Jen, it was, I don't even want to go in details with your audience, but it was terrible. She used a wire and, and a tube and I was just a kid. And she did this performance on me and it was terrible. So after that, I decided, you know what? I can't take care of my daughter. So the foster, foster parents took her. They were good people. And it was the best thing they ever did. And then I started to work in an office and I got pregnant by an older man. I think I was 20. He was 36. He had a wife and kids. And when I told him I was pregnant, he said, I used you. You used me. I never loved you. So I made a suicide attempt by throwing myself down 36 concrete stairs in the Larkin building in Buffalo, New York. They put me in the hospital. Um, they gave me a therapeutic abortion and uh, thought I was mentally ill. From there, I left and went to New York City uh, with my girlfriend, Mickey, where I became a heroin addict and um, got real bad off and finally got back to Buffalo from New York City. And when I got back to Buffalo, they locked me in a mental institution. Plus I had hepatitis B, which was horrid. And I got very ill. Then I got peritonitis. And if anybody's watching who's a nurse or works, you know, that's not good. It's the infection of the holding around your intestines. I almost died from that. So I got out of the mental institution. I made it through the uh, peritonitis, but I had hepatitis B and it was bad. And uh, I decided, you know, there's got to be more to life. When I was 12, Jennifer, and let me throw this in for your listeners, especially the young people. I was very, very unhappy. And I was standing in a church. And I have to go back to this. I was standing in a Catholic church. Doesn't matter what kind of church it was. But just standing, looking up at a crucifix of this dead guy with the little red paint on his hands and feet. And I remember looking up and saying, where are you when I'm hungry? Where are you when I'm being molested? 
Where are you when I'm crying, when I'm getting a beating I don't deserve? Where are you? Now I'm 12. And I just looked up, I said, you're dead. You're dead. And my soul is for sale to the highest bidder. And I left the church. So now fast forward again to now I'm uh, at that point. And I'm thinking, you know, there might be a Jesus, but he ain't doing nothing for me. So now I'm two abortions. My baby's taken away from me. And now I'm uh, living uh, in Buffalo and just got out of a nut house, a mental institution, excuse me. And I uh, decided I would get into the power. I was living with a woman who said, there's white witchcraft. We can do white witchcraft. And there is no white witchcraft. Witchcraft is witchcraft. Paganism is paganism. And so I learned a lot about traditions. I learned a lot about Halloween. That was a big night for me as a practicing witch. I learned all the things there was. Now, I didn't run through the woods naked. I wasn't belonging to a coven with a high priest. I didn't sacrifice humans or babies. None of that stuff. I was what you would refer to as a renegade witch. And I did all my own stuff and all my own paganism. I studied Buddhism, Tibetan Book of the Dead, Eastern religion, pantheism. I studied um, uh, uh, New Age philosophies, casting spells, incantations, learning how to levitate, how to come out of the body and doing all this crazy stuff. And I never thought there was anything wrong with it. I thought I was into white witchcraft. And unbeknown to me, I was obtaining spirits. I was obtaining unclean spirits, especially in my deep meditations. But after that, and when I started getting involved in paganism, I met a guy named Richard Kornacki. And um, we were both drug addicts. He was a meth freak. I was a heroin freak. And that was a great combination. He was running around buzzing. And I was nodding half the time. And we got into fights. And there was infidelity. And finally, one time, I walked up to him. And I said, Richard, I got good news. And he said, what's the good news? And we were staying at home. I had my gallbladder taken out. So I couldn't go anywhere. So we weren't unfaithful to each other, Jennifer. We were at home. And I said to him, I'm pregnant. I, I, I'm, I'm, we're going to have a baby. And he said, I ain't having no baby. What are you nuts? And I said, I, 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 I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing this again, Richard. And he said, I don't know what to tell you. I ain't having no kid. And he dropped in a few explicit words. And so he gave me money and sent me to the abortion clinic on high street in Buffalo, New York. And I walked up the stairs and was gathered with a bunch of every age, every culture, every color, every type of person with these women all sitting around waiting to get an abortion. And um, I walked up to the woman and she said to me, do you want to be counseled? And I remember Jennifer crying and going, God, I need counseling. I was a heroin addict, drug addict, pagan witch, demon possessed, mentally unstable, broken, suicidal. I cut myself and hurt myself. And I said, yes, I, I do need counseling. And she said, well, do you want the abortion or not? And I said, I don't, but my husband does. So she sent me in a room and gave me a little paper blue sack to put on for the procedure. And I remember in that room, Jennifer, standing in front of that mirror and pulling back that paper gown and seeing a little bump on my belly. And I remember crying and saying, little baby, I don't know what love is, but I think I love you, but nobody else does. So you have to go. After that abortion, I went into total crazy mental illness. You couldn't talk to me. Jennifer, I take a steel brush, you know, a brush that's like not steel, but you know that and scratch my body and scream. 
I'd look in the mirror and see different visions of myself because of the demon possession. I fell into complete worse drug addiction. I would OD on purpose, Jennifer. I wanted to die. There was no hope. My childhood was in shambles. I hated my father. When he died, I rejoiced. I hated my mother. I Most of all, Jennifer, I hated me. And uh, that's the condition I was in. My marriage was in shambles. We were both very unfaithful to one another. And then one day I was working in a bar, a cheater's bar, they called it. And a young woman approached me. Her name was Linda. And she knew my condition. She knew I was stealing from the bar, stealing money. <laughs> I was something. And she started to talk to me, but she didn't get into the whole Jesus thing. She was very seasoned as salt, as Paul said, very seasoned. She knew that I was possessed. She could see it in my face. She knew I was an addict and they had heard that I was dying of cirrhosis. Now, Jennifer, cirrhosis at 21? 21? Oh, you were 21. Wait, wait. So Carol, so all this happened within a 21 year span. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, oh. now it was, I was a little older than 20. I had, I beg your pardon, please forgive me. I had cirrhosis at 20 to 21 and carried it to later in my 20s. Okay. I beg your pardon. So now you can imagine the ravages in my body. I, my gallbladder's gone, my liver's cirrhosis, which means drying up like a piece of leather. And here's Linda going, listen, you want to go, I know you're in the witchcraft, but you want to go see this church service where they pray for sick people. And I was like, get out of my face. Don't talk to me. Get away from me. You Jesus freak. And the bartender would say to me, why are you so mean to her? And I said, she's a freak. And he said, and we're not. She's praying for you, Carol. Now I was a demon possessed drug addict, which so I was like, I don't want her praying for me. Explosive words in there. I don't want anybody praying for me. I'm better off dead. But finally, she was very, very nice, Jen. And she invited me to church. And I told my husband, Richard, Let's go to church. He goes, go to church. You're, you're, you're a witch. I said, I want to go. They do miracle stuff over there. I want to check this stuff out. Jennifer, I walked in there yellow, and I am not exaggerating. My skin was as yellow as an egg yolk. My eyes were yellow. I had all black under here, Jen. It was totally black. You could see them in my eyes. My whole demeanor, I dressed like a prostitute. I had lived on the streets. I was homeless and eating out of garbage cans. So I walked in that church looking like that, like that whole persona of what I represented. And they had an altar call and Linda, I was getting a little choked up here, Jen, because as long ago as it was, it's fresh all the time. And I started manifesting because they were singing all oh, the blood of Jesus. And I didn't even realize that was causing me to freak out the way I was, but I started to manifest. And my husband was like, I'm getting out of here. You're crazy. You've always been crazy. And Linda looked at me, and this is so powerful, Jennifer, and we need to do this more. Church is not just a meeting social club. It's a place where we bring the lost and the hurting, as Linda did with me. And she stood up, and she saw me manifesting, and she said to me, do you want to go forward? And I said, I don't know. And I was, you know, just icky. And I, she said, and she took her hand, Jennifer, and she leaned it toward me. And she said, come on, I'll take you. Wow. I know. And um, I took her hand and it was the first time that I had ever, ever touched a hand that either didn't beat me. I had been gang raped. I had been beaten. I had been left on the streets. I had been in jail. And it was the first time that soft, warm hand of hope. And she took me to the front 
And I stood there and the guy saw me, the guy on the platform was, oh my gosh, bring her here. And they put me, brought me up on the platform and I was just standing there. You could just see it all over me. People that were there are like, man, I remember what you look like, Carol. Wow. And he said, what's the condition of your body? And I said, I have chronic active hepatitis. And he said, what is that? And I said, I'm dying. And he said, do you believe Jesus can heal you? I was like, Jesus is dead on a cross in Buffalo, New York on William Street in St. Josephat's Church. And I saw, he turned around, Jen, and he lifted his hands. And this is so powerful. And he just said, Jesus, oh, Jesus, heal her. And people stood to their feet, Jen, without embellishing or exaggerating and just began to pray. I watched grown men cry. I watched teenagers that believe in the power of the gospel grab hands over the tops of the seats and begin to say, Jesus, touch her. I saw little children putting their head down saying, Jesus, touch her. Jesus, change her life. And all of a sudden, Jen, without any exaggeration, it was like the power of God came through the top of the full gospel tabernacle in Buffalo, New York, hit me on the head. And it was like all the energy inside me. I just hit my knees and I just sat there and just went, just laid there. And I heard the evangelist say, don't touch her. God is doing something. Don't touch her. And I laid on that floor. Ha. Just a little girl that didn't want to have her lips fat anymore from getting punched in the face. Just a little girl that wanted her daddy to say, I love you. Just a little girl that didn't want to be used by men for 15 minutes and then thrown away. A little girl that didn't feel a need to go and get needles and stick them in your arms and take drugs until you were laying there in your own body fluid. Just a little girl who wanted to know what love is. And I didn't see him, Jen. But I feel like he said this, and I want to emphasize, I didn't see him. I just remember this impression. I'm laying there, and it was like Jesus was standing over me. And he said, Carolyn, because that's my name, not Carol, Carolyn. Carolyn, my name is Jesus Christ. And if you're looking for love, you found it. I love you. Amen. Just the way you are. Amen. Jennifer, I got up off that podium or floor of the platform and I left that church and my life was changed hepatitis I don't know where it is I'm that was several years ago I'm still alive and I don't know where there's any cirrhosis I'm as healthy as a horse demons left me they screamed they vomited out of me but they came out of me the only spirit of me is the holy spirit amen I was reconciled to my mother who became a Christian through my faith my daddy died reading the bible his mother told me he died he had the bible with him reading the book of Luke my family is 11. I think there's two out of 11. All of them have come to Jesus Christ. My life has been transformed. And today I'm on the streets, reaching to the broken, the homeless, the hurting, the hungry, the addict, the sexual uh, trafficked girl, traveling from place to place, telling people, I know a man named Jesus and he's alive. Amen. Carol, I mean, you're, I mean, that was like the greatest summary I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't mean to take so long. I'm sorry. No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, you said it so eloquently. Now, I want to get back to the beginning of your childhood. Why do you believe your parents were so abusive? Did they grow up in houses like that too? My mother did. My mother found out when she was about nine years old that her father, who was kind of rough on her, real rough on her, was not her father. And then when she got married, honey, she was 19 and she had all these kids Jennifer, she was like a gerbil. She was having kids every year, every year, two years. So she had an anger in her and a resentment. And 
she was in love with an Italian guy, but her mother told her to marry my father, who I found out later was indeed my father. So um, she was angry and unhappy and he was mentally ill and we didn't have anything. So that's what caused a lot of the violence. My father went in the hospital for an operation, Jennifer, and the anesthetic poisoned his system. And when he came out, he was mentally ill. Why did your grandmother want your mom to marry your father as opposed to the Italian man? Because my father came from a uh, North Carolina, and he was a Southern gentleman, um, and he had said all the right things. But we found out later, my father was married to another woman that he never divorced. So we were—he was a bigamist, and we were all illegitimate. So it was pretty convoluted, Jennifer. Wow. And then I know you mentioned how you were so sick, and you were deprived of water and food and and a healthy form of shelter. How did you know that you had hepatitis A? If your mom I was, was sitting at the kitchen table. After I drank the toilet water, my mother didn't know about that, but I was sitting at the kitchen table and I passed out and my mother said, what's going on? So she looked at me, she said, she's yellow. And so they put me in a room for 30 days, 30 days. I stayed in a room because my mother was carrying my brother, Michael, the, none of the kids could get hepatitis. A is very contagious. So that's how she knew. She said, she's not right. You can see it. She's yellow and she realized it was hepatitis of some sort. Wow. Wow. And how did you get better? I stayed in the room for 30 days. And that's when I heard this voice talking in the night. It was about 3.30 in the morning. And I was lying in this room after about 25 days. And I heard this voice. I was isolated, of course, in this tiny little house in this locked in room. And I heard a voice. And I got up, I thought mom and dad were fighting again. It's probably another vibe because there was dirty language. And I opened up the door of the room and there was no one there. It was 3.30, everybody was in bed. And I went back to bed and heard it again. And I realized it was me. I had created that second personality. So was that from the isolation? Yeah, that was from everything. It's a, You break away in your mind and you form another kind of person to take that you'll switch to. Jennifer, I see this all the time because I deal with a lot of young people that you'll switch to. She takes the pain. She takes the abuse. She's molested. She's not loved. So that other personality, and they call it multiple personality, split personality, whatever it is. But yeah, I definitely had more than one of me going on there for a while. Wow. So I know you were young, but with all that abuse, did you ever, I know you were so young and in and, an ungodly household, did you ever think about escaping ever? When I got pregnant, that's when I figured I'd escape. I, I figured I'm, I'm having sex with this kid from school that we had, you know, come out of school by that time. And I thought I'm going to land up. And I did. So that was my escape. And I went and lived with my girlfriend, Marilyn, who was dying of uh, a disease at the time, a blood cancer. So I could get in her house and stay and carry my daughter. Mm. And how old were you when you first got pregnant? 18. 18. Wow. Wow. And then how did you end up on the streets? Well, after you become a drug addict, nobody wants to keep it. Jennifer, I was so violent. I would take it. Nobody would stay in the same room with me when I did drugs. I would take a needle. This is how crazy. And I'd pound it into my arm and scream. And everybody in the room would go, I ain't getting high with her. She's crazy. I don't want to be anywhere near. She's a lunatic. So after a, a while, nobody would let me stay with them. Betty Bouchard threw me out. Um, everybody threw me out. So I lived down the streets and ate out of 
whatever I could find and just walk the streets. Wow. And then, so I know part of your testimony is you had gotten pregnant multiple times, of course, but three times, three times, four, yeah, four times. And then three, you end up aborting, correct? Which I live with. You live with that. The guilt has gone to the cross. The, The shame has gone on the body of the sacrifice by God almighty through Jesus Christ, but that you, you never really let go of, geez, now I'm all cleaned up and I'm not a junkie and I'm not a kid anymore. And I'm a grown person. And I'm like, wow, I would have had four children. So you can't live in the guilt of that. And oh my gosh, because, you know, Jesus knew long before you came to him to be is for him to be your Lord and savior, what you had done, you know? So, So, but still, you know, you, you remember it. So true. And your children are still waiting for you. And that's the blessing that you're a child of God, which is awesome. Um, But I know that you mentioned a part of your testimony. I wanted to mention how um, you were so desperate to have an abortion that when you mentioned you threw yourself down 30 plus flight of stairs, you begged for an abortion. Why did you beg for an abortion from um, the medical staff? Because I realized that I could never be a mother. I, uh, you know what, when you're in that confused state and, you know, this is why I tell people, you know, you can march in front of clinics all you want, but if the girl's morally going to get the abortion, and when you tell her you hate your baby, you're going to go to hell for killing your baby, all these, that nothing, none of that works. What is something's going inside that girl going on inside that gives her that there's no other way. And that's how I was. I was a terrible person. I was a junkie. I was not loved. I couldn't love, so how could I love a baby? So I just, please, just do this. And I told them, if you don't give me an abortion, I'll go on the roof of the hospital and jump off. And they said, well, lock you in a nut house. I said, well, find a mental institution. I said, well, find the one my father's and then we can be there together. I was a very hateful, unhappy human being. You talk about hopeless, if you look it up in the dictionary, my picture's next to it. I was hopeless. People didn't even want to be around me. I was crazy. Just the fact that, you know, you are where you are today. And this brings me to when you said you were 12 years old, you entered into a church. How did you get to this church? Because your parents at this time had, well, they didn't know Jesus. So who brought you to this Catholic church in Buffalo, New York? My mother was Polish. So she was born and raised in the Catholicism. And she never went to church. I think the ceiling would have fell in. But she made sure us kids went. And it wasn't so much that... um oh, I'm so godly. And you, it was like, just go to church, go to church. Maybe that was her way of going, just go leave. And so we went to church and we went to what we called religious instructions. So I learned every prayer in Catholicism. I learned all the stations of the cross. I studied, but the more my life was deteriorating, the more, you know, the abuse and all that, I just got to the point where you're dead, you're useless to me. And that's when that happened. I was 12 and it was just before the hepatitis. It was just before and after that, that's when I got real sick. But um, I just was in there and that's when I did it. I told him my soul's for sale. It's going to the highest bidder. Wow. Mm. Okay. So, so you're on the streets years later, I'm assuming in your later teens, probably 18, 19, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And how did you end up into witchcraft? What was the inception of that? I moved in with a girl named Linda. Linda Sugg, very, very pretty girl and very sweet. And that's, she said to me, as I said earlier, when I was telling my story, 
there's white witchcraft and there's black witchcraft. Why don't we do the white witchcraft? And so we started messing with the Ouija board. Now the Ouija board is interesting. It's German and French. We, which is French, yeah, which is German. It's the yes, yes board. And I played that with her. Well, you stir spirits when you, people mess with stuff, they have no idea. And I, we started stirring up spirits, playing the Ouija board, and things began to manifest. The door exploded. I mean, there was a combustion of a fire on the outside of our door. We were like, what happened? So all these supernatural things began to happen. Well, that intrigued me more than scared me. And I got very, in, in, I was like, wow, I got to find out more. So I started su studying Sibylique, the, the big astrologer of the time, Louise Hibner, one of the best known witches of the time, Edgar Case mythology, Tibetan Book of the Dead. I studied Buddhism. I became a Buddhist. I started to study Buddhism, but I, I, Buddhists didn't do a whole lot for me. You know, that was like, you know, he just didn't all that. But I got into meditation. And when I got into deep meditations, I learned, I learned Alpha Delta states. And that's when I would invite familiar spirits thinking they were good guys. So I was a wide open door for spiritual wickedness doing all of it. And so that's Linda got me involved in witchcraft. And I got there. And then I started reading cards, telling fortunes, astral projecting, casting spells, operating in psychic as a psychic and started reading cards. And the devil said to me one day, and I know it was the devil. I had a book. Jennifer, I'd have a book and I'd make a circle with 12 inner salt circles and a candle in the middle. And then I'd give someone 12 cards and I'd take the cards with their vibration. Yeah, right. And then I would read out of my book. Oh, this means this means. And I heard very clear. That's why I don't mess with the devil. I heard a voice say, close the book. You won't need that anymore. So I closed the book. And from then on, I began to tell these, these, these futures without any instruction because I was taken on demonic activity and spirits that knew exactly what that person had done or where they had gone. That's where the information was coming from. Wow. But we thought I was a great psychic. Yeah. People go, well, geez, Carol, you know, the psychics help, you know, people, they go out, you know, man. And like, they, they find these babies that have been murdered and the psychics find them. And I'm like, really, how come the psychics never find it before they're dead? The demons know where that baby is or that individual is. And a lot of the psychic stuff is, uh, just you guess. And other times you have information from unclean spirits. Mm -hmm. So they're really not fortune telling. They're basically telling you, like you said, either a guess, whether they're right or they're wrong, or they're getting information from demons. So they really don't know. Yeah. And you feel it like, you know, you can feel it. You can hear that. Like you'll look at someone and you'll almost trance like, and then you'll know something like, you know, here's an example, a quick example. I was going to read a DEA. She was a uh, drug enforcement agent. She didn't know I was a drug addict and I was going to read her. I remember her name was Carol. And I went in this really big mansion, this beautiful home these people had, they had invited me. And she was sitting there in this hate inside me, these demons, Jennifer. I looked over at her and I couldn't stand it because I knew she enforced drugs. I mean, enforced drug uh, limitations. So I wanted to hurt her. So that spirit around me knew it. So I remember reading her cards and she was very sweet. I felt terrible. She said, I looked at her and I said, I picked up her card and I said, I see this dried up little brown thing. And she jumped up, Jennifer, ran down the stairs screaming, who told her, who told her. She left and the hostess, Dorothy, believe it or not, came to me and she said to me, what's the matter with you? What did you do? What are you doing? I said, she wanted her cards read. I got them read. And she said, she had a baby, a dry birth. That, that that died 
why would you even do such a thing? See, when you hang around with the devil, you start acting like him. It, it's so amazing the power that you start to, you, you just change and you start to take on those ways. So. so what did it do for you? You like getting involved from level to level to level into witchcraft. Why did you stay in it? Was it the power? What was, what was so intriguing for you? Attention as well. You got attention because, you know, you're operating in this power. Oh, Carol, here comes Carol Konacki. She's a witch. You know, she reads fortunes. Oh, she tells, she can read tarot cards. Oh, look at her. She's a psychic. So that insecurity and the power you, you feel like. But after a while, the same spirits, and I didn't know they were demonic. I didn't know. I thought it was a white witch. And these were spirits that were going to help me. So after a while... The same spirits that gave me information would make me afraid. They'd start tormenting me. And I didn't understand that part, Jennifer. Like, why are they tormenting me? I mean, these are my familiar spirits that look like Pocahontas and an Egyptian queen. Because you see them when you go in a deep state, you'll see them and then you invite them. And that's how you get these spirits in. Wow. But they don't really look like Pocahontas. And I'm just using that as an example. Or Egyptian queen. They're demons. That's why people tell you, you know, um, my father visited me after he died. No, he didn't. They're familiar spirits that took on, and you can study this, that took on the, the look of that person who has passed. And therefore, you think it's your father, but it isn't. Or your mother or your brother. You can't come back. Jesus clearly said, there is no coming back. So, Amen. you know, we were, people were fooled to believe that psychics could bring back people and channel them so it's all such a sick demonic game but i was there and you asked why yeah the attention the power but it started turning on me so did they use you and abuse you so did you feel like when you were in witchcraft did you feel like these demons even though you said you didn't really realize it was that because you felt mm -hmm. like you know you're just a white witch doing good things did you feel like uh you were being used for a certain amount of time and then like you said they turned on you yeah, they do turn on you. Yeah, they're doing it now in hip hop and in Hollywood and all over the place. You see, they use them for a while. These people give in to that selling of their soul. See, people don't understand you can sell your soul. There's no, you know, everybody thinks everything's fake. No, you can sell your soul. I almost did, but I thank God I didn't. But yeah, uh, they turn on you and they mock you. And then I, I would scratch myself. I'd be looking in the mirror, Jen, just looking in the mirror. And all of a sudden I'd see this face and I'd scratch my skin. That's how after a while the demons would turn. They're good to you in the beginning. Oh, they turn you into, you know, you feel like you're a star. And then they're like, what did you really think? I like you. We don't like you. We use you. So you use the right phrase. Did they use you? Yes. And that's good for people who are in witchcraft and especially in Hollywood. That's good for them to hear. Hopefully, so much they'll... of it. Oh my gosh, it's everywhere right now. It's, it's everywhere. Go ahead. I so agree. I so agree. So tell me, you said you were a renegade witch. This is the first time I've ever heard of a renegade witch. What is a renegade yeah. witch? I didn't gather. I didn't grow, go into any groups. Uh, when they wanted to go in the woods, uh, I I didn't wanna. Uh, I wasn't into the Wiccan eh, and that whole um Wiccan oath is such a game because we don't harm anyone. Yes, you do. So I didn't like that. I was like, no, nah, I didn't want to have anything to do with Colvin's. I had nothing to do with, I didn't want a high priest over me. I knew they'd get into sacrifice and crazy stuff. I didn't want that. Um, I didn't, uh, 
I just didn't want anybody telling me what to do. I was like, I can do this. I can study myself. I can operate myself. And renegade, I was by myself. I was like a renegade all by myself doing my thing. And I didn't want to be a part of any group. I didn't want a high priest over me because they do sick stuff. And I wanted no part of that. I No, I didn't want anything to do with hurting anybody. Not like that. So what did you know happened in the woods? Because you said, I'm not going in those woods. What did you know happened oh, in the woods geez. that you did not want to be a part of? Oh, my goodness. It's common knowledge today. I mean, it isn't even a secret anymore. It used to be a cult means secret, hidden. It ain't like that anymore. They got it in your face. It's out there. I mean, turn on your TV, go into a grocery store, look at your magazine racks, listen to these kids, listen to the lyrics of songs. I mean, it's all in your face. Animal sacrifice, uh, orgies, um, uh, bloodletting, let bloodletting. You cut, you bleed. Or the orgies. I was never into. I couldn't get into any of that. I was never into any of that. I wasn't interested in pornography. I wasn't into any of that perverted stuff. It just didn't work with me, no matter what I was. But yeah, orgies. Uh, you know, hugging trees, bloodletting, sacrificing animals. Yeah, and that happens a lot during Halloween. That's huge during Halloween. Speaking of Halloween, what did you <laughs> participate in? And how, because this is what this whole segment is basically about the warnings and the rawness of rituals of, of Halloween and its origin. So, what did you do? What did you do during Halloween? Cast spells. Well, you got to understand Halloween. So let me make it real quick for your viewers, Jennifer. Halloween is the celebration. And this is not a conspiracy theory or some sort of a, you know, opinion. Halloween is the celebration of Soween, the God of the dead. And what happens on that day, people go, well, this is all Hallows night where you pray for the people who have died. And you know, they got all kinds of stuff. But it is in fact a night of worshiping Soween, the God of the dead. And on that particular day as witches, we were of the mind that the veil between life and death was thinned. And that's why there was a lot of uh, so what we thought was communicating with the dead, necromancy, which really we were communicating with demons. Um, it was a night of, uh, in the higher up, uh, definitely human sacrifice. 100%. What they would do, now I again did not get into this, but you're aware of it. And you're even more aware of it now. What they would do is they would capture young girls that were on the streets, like myself in those days, walking the streets, drug addicted, and they put them in either Mexico or another place, lock them down for the year, drug them up, use them horribly. And then on that particular night, as a offering sacrifice to Soween, they would sacrifice that girl. Um, on that particular night, I was telling you earlier, Jennifer, they would lock down the shelters because they would go in and steal dogs, cats for sacrifice. Uh, it was a big thing to massacre and sacrifice a cow in the middle of a corn, uh, uh, a football field or a cornfield. Um, uh, the dressing up all comes sewing, from sewing. Let me tell you quickly. The Druids were a blood drinking priesthood that uh, excuse me, worship Soween, the God of the dead. On that night, he would call all the demons Soween. He would release these demons from the abyss and they would wander the earth. And so the Druids would dress up in very gory, spooky. And if you notice at Halloween, the most popular thing to do, Jennifer, is to have bloody and be a, a, a skeleton or something black or a cat or a uh, anything dark and graveyards and all of that. So Soween would say that you have to put out a, a type of a sacrifice. So the farmers, 
and those when the druids were walking the the villages they put out fruits and vegetables this is all true and for a while Sowin was okay with that but then he wanted human sacrifice so it was the practice of the druids to go to a home and knock on the door and then when the parents would come to the door the druids would be gory Ugh. and they'd tell them you have a 13 year old daughter she needs to be on the porch tonight by midnight for a sacrifice to Sowin if she's not there, your whole house will be destroyed. All your animals will be destroyed. If you don't give us what we want, we'll cause destruction. Thus, you get trick or treat. If you give us what we want, we won't hang toilet paper on your things and ruin your house and do damage. So it's been softened because the devil always softens everything and makes it look nice. It's been softened, but it's still the same ritual. So you get trick or treat and the gory looks. So now... The druids would leave that particular house, Jennifer. They'd go off, and what they'd do is they'd take a squash, not necessarily a pumpkin, maybe a squash or anything, or a pumpkin, hollow it out, this is all fact, and they would take either a piece of human flesh or some type of fatty stuff and put it down inside the squash and put a very gory face and put it on that particular home. And then they put a hexagram on that door in blood. And if by midnight that child was not where she should be, then the house would be destroyed and everybody in it and all the crops would be destroyed and the animals. Again, trick or treat. Do give us what we want and we'll do damage. So again, that... Uh, the dressing up is to uh, is sewing everything. If you go through uh, the haunted house, you go through the streets. Everything's black and dark. It is a celebration of the God of the Dead. And even Anton Lavey, who was one of, that wrote the Satanic Bible, he's gone. Uh, he was a big wannabe uh, Aleister Crowley wannabe because Aleister Crowley was totally nuts and very satanic. And Anton LaVey said that he so appreciates that one night out of the year, Christian parents let their children worship the devil. And people still do it. I've been doing this for years telling people, uh, you know, take it from somebody who's been there. I did this. I didn't kill people. I didn't bleed people. I didn't do that. But I knew the operations. And even though I stayed home and did my astral projection, my, uh, uh, what do you call it? My incantations. I did incantation once and a man fell from a, you know, and got hurt, fell in a wheel there. It was terrible. It was terrible. And then one time I did an astral projection and I couldn't get back in my body. That was frightening. That was really frightening. So all of this witchcraft and, and, and bloodletting and orgies in the woods and the deeper and higher ups, the elite with the sacrifice of a human, all of that goes on. And people go, no, it's just candy. <laughs> well, yeah, and pigs fly. No, it's not just candy. It is demonic and dark. And what's sad is once I became a Christian, then the pagan followers who knew that I was a turncoat because I had come to Christ would say to me, you know, Carol, your people go out. Watch this now. Watch the language here. Your people go out on Halloween and celebrate sowing the God of the dead. You don't see us showing up on Christmas to celebrate the birth of your Jesus. That's heavy. That's so true. So sad. You'll come. Your people, no matter how much you warn them, will walk the streets while he's dressed up as King David, while she's dressed up as a fairy. You're still taking the root. There's no redeeming Halloween. Wow. Wow. Well, you know what? You mentioned that there was a time, and we'll get back to Halloween in one Sorry. second. You mentioned a time where you 
couldn't get back into your body when you astral projected out of it. How did you not get back to your body? That wasn't good, Jennifer. Um, I did it the first time in the apartment on Nab Road in Elma in Buffalo, New York. The first time I did it, I was successful. I got out and the cord was still attached because it always is unless you die. And I, I was asked to projecting, and this is not, it could be a solical power, uh, whatever. Anyway, I could see myself uh, above uh, touching the ceiling. Then I was in a van with this guy and he was driving and I was sitting there in a, a lotus position. You know, I was in my position and I was meditating to leave the body. Jennifer, it was frightening. I got out. And I was above the van. Now we were going down the interco. We're not the interco. We're going to East Aurora Expressway. He was doing about sixty. I'll never forget this. And I saw myself limping in the car, and I was above the van, moving with the van at sixty miles per hour on the uh, uh, East Aurora Expressway. And I could look down in this separated state and see myself, Jen, lying in the back seat, almost gray. So I started to try to will myself back in, and I couldn't get back in. Jennifer, I never did that again. No matter what I was involved in, that scared me bad. I finally got back in and the driver was like, you know, where were you? What happened to you? And I, I just, so you don't mess with this stuff. You know, you, this stuff that you, you know, these people are going to play Bloody Mary. We're going to do a, a seance. We're going to play the, we're going to do the Ouija. You mess with the devil. He'll pick you up, chew you up and spit you out. Take it from somebody who's been there. Wow. Wow. So you mentioned that the cord was still attached. What cord are you talking about? It's a cord. I can't explain it. It isn't really visible. You're just aware of it. It's almost when a person dies, there's a cord that's attached. And once their spirit leaves their body, in this case, your spirit, my spirit didn't leave the body. My soul did. It's, it's really hard to explain. It would take forever. But there's a cord that's attached and you can only go so far on that. Now, some people have learned to ask to project or work a solical power where I'll be in Buffalo and you're in, in Colorado Springs and I can show up there. I've had witches do that to me after I got saved. But um, it's just a cord. You, it, you, the cord's what brings you back to your state again. If that cord breaks, you'll probably die because I was gray in that back seat, Jennifer. Gray. Uh, I can see myself just gray. It was scary. I'm glad you mentioned that because I had two prior guests on who were in the occult and they said the same exact thing. And then one actually backed it up with scripture and it was written by King Solomon speaking of the silver cord when a silver cord is broken. And then so I'm so glad you're the third person on this show who's ever mentioned the cord. Um, so what happens to you if you don't get back into your body? What's the worst case scenario if your body's someplace else and you're wherever? What's the worst that can know. happen? I don't know. It's just, you probably die. You know, you shouldn't, you know, when you're talking about the supernatural, Jennifer, it's very hard to put into human words because it's not human. It's not tangible you're talking about an unseen demonic evil realm and an unseen power that you operate in so what would happen if the cord broke i would suspect and it's all assumption and assumption is the lowest form of knowledge um i assume you would die i assume mm. you would probably die i looked pretty bad i was scared i was moving right with the van jen no kidding right with the van going down the highway i could look in the van and see through the top of the van to my body. Wow. So when you were outside of your body, so you were really bad inside of the car, your body was, but how did you feel outside of your body? Did you feel in full health 
outside of the body or you don't you just felt like you're free like astral projection gives you a sense of power and freedom uh you just i think to be really honest i think what happened jen was once i realized i wasn't getting acting as fast as i did in the apartment then i was too scared to think about how i felt i was like i gotta get back in you almost have to will yourself back in like i had to will myself back in and of course i could see through the top it wasn't a car it was a van i could see myself through the van isn't that wild wow. laying there like just great it was something you know you just don't mess with this stuff those of you who are listening to jennifer's uh program here please don't mess with this stuff mm -hmm. it's not a game you young people it's not a game satan is not stupid you don't last as long as he did until the coming of our lord jesus christ and him being locked up permanently but you don't last this long because you're stupid you don't deceive the first two people that god ever made because you're stupid you're not he's not stupid he knows every kink in your armor he knows all these music you're listening to what you're allowing in your house what you're doing the things you're celebrating he knows it all and that's how he puts the chains on by finding kinks in your armor and weakness and when you're i was very inquisitive i was a very inquisitive pagan i wanted to know everything there was to know i'm like that now with christianity i gotta know every detail but that's just me so and christianity certainly the details are far greater and far more powerful than what i experienced in that praise god and that's that's big that's huge what you experience in christianity is far more powerful than what you experienced in witchcraft so let's go back to halloween so you i, I asked you questions about halloween and then you said they did they used to do this they used to do that do they still do those things that you mentioned, how they would kidnap girls? And you said that you weren't. Oh, yeah. Bigger now. It's bigger. It's huge. It's huge. Huge. They've got like over a million kids that are missing a year. Now, that doesn't mean that they're all put into these positions. We know that sex trafficking, I deal with these kids, are is huge. It's, it's unbelievable the, how it's gotten. But no, they still do all of it. In fact, it's worse now because it's so open now. See, it's not hidden anymore, Jack. It used to be hidden, occult, secret, and hidden. Now in the um, the initiations and the and and all that goes with being a part of all that. And you've heard these guys, Kanye and Jay Z and Katy Perry and and uh, Miley and um, all of them tell you right to your face they don't care. I sold my soul. I sold my soul to the devil. And I, I'm where I am today. Look at Jack Black. He got right up and looked right at the camera and said, well, how do you think I got here? How do you think I got here? I sold my soul. Bobby Dylan, older than both you and me, he said, now think how far go, Bobby Dylan goes back, holy Toledo. And he even said, I made a deal with the big commander and I got to finish it out. Was that guy in his 70s? Almost 80? So these are serious contracts that you sell out to serious contract and again today it's right in your face are they sacrificing oh my gosh yes wow. are they you know there's a lot i don't want to say a whole lot but you know it's very popular all this and they're doing it now in your face they sing about it they talk about it they show it on movies they show it on tv they get on and talk i just heard the rock uh, Dwayne Johnson, everybody thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. He was sitting with someone, I watched this video, 
And the kid looks up. This is recent. Why would you even joke like this? He's, they have to expose things. You got to understand the occult. But the kid goes, it's so, well, what is it like to be so popular? How did you do this? This is film. And he looked up, he went, <laughs> I eat kids. Now, why would you say that to a child in jest? Then he was on another time talking about creating a machine that molests children. So what's your point, Carol? My point is these people we look up to, these celebrities that we think are, oh, wow, man, because they're on the big screen entertaining us and they're so nice in the public eye. They're doing these things. And Halloween is huge for the satanic. And again, you've heard everybody get up. Look at them. Kevin Hart, I sold my soul. I'm a clone. I mean, you think they're all joking and they want you to think they're joking, but they're telling you there's a lot going on you don't know about. And it's time for people to wake up and be aware. We're not being raw. We're being honest. We're being open and honest. And Jesus said in that day, he was warning. He was warned the people, tell the people. You don't sit around with tape on your mouth, afraid to be, oh, I don't want to be too raw. They're raw enough. It's time to say Halloween is not redeemable. If you partake, you're partaking of a ritualistic, demonic, dark God of death. He looks a lot like the Grim Reaper, although it's hard to get pictures of soul, so ween because he's a spiritual being, but you'll see him as the Grim Reaper. You know, it, it, they, they don't care. It's, it's out there. So it's time to say to the body, what are you doing? What are you getting involved in? You think this is a game? I mean, it's not a game. Jen, I, I think you know that. It's not. It's not. So like you mentioned, the Druids. Really quick, could you tell us the origin of Halloween? Because I know the Druids have something to do with that. Oh, yeah. They're the ones who would perform out on the uh, into the villages and go and put the jack-o'-lanterns, we called them, on the front porch. The Druid is a blood, they still exist, blood-drinking priesthood of the occult. And their god is Sawin, the god of the dead. They are involved in Stonehenge. You've seen that in England, that big rock formation where they have all kinds of things going on there. So the Druids are a, a priesthood, a evil, demonic, satanic priesthood. And on Halloween, they go out and they work the villages. To this day, now there's not little villages anymore. They get into these satanic rituals and human sacrifice. So the Druids are... Um, and that's where you get a lot of the uh, gore on Halloween. Everybody's gory and spooky and blood dripping out of their face. And because the Druids are very evil. And of course, it's a night of death. So you have to represent death and darkness and spiders and skulls and graveyards. I mean, the whole thing is so evil. I, in my whole life, I've I've never seen anything like when I see Christians go out, I'm like, I can't believe it. You And you know what the thing is? And it's okay. I'm not here to judge anyone. But you know, Jesus said when you didn't know. But now you know. That's so right. you're doing it as a rebellion saying, I don't care if it's evil. I don't care if it's not a good idea. The kids like the candy. I'm going. Whatever melts your butter. But you know the truth. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was raised up in a house with both parents being ministers and we were never allowed to trick or treat. But when I get married, when I got married and had children, I began to question, well, they never told me why it's bad. So we said, okay, let's do it. My husband, he was raised Catholic. So he was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. And I saw your video, I think in 2011, no, 2011. Yes. 2011. Carol, let me tell you something. When I saw your video, your spitfire video telling the truth about 
um, Halloween and what everything meant. I'm like, family, we're never doing this, doing this again. Well, the next year came about and the kids were begging for it. And me and my husband, we said, okay, fine. We're going to do it. Just this is the last time. But like you said, Carol, when you know the truth, you have no excuse. That year, my daughter broke her arm in a way that was very bad to the point where she had to have surgery and pins, but there was no history ever in both our families of any bones being broken. And it was on that day when there was a person in our house who our kids were wrestling. And then a person specifically said, this is on Halloween, they're going to kill each other. The very instant that person said that my daughter fell and broke her arm in a way that was very, um, very, what do you call it? Very um, severe, severe. Exactly. Where, and I said, to my husband, I said, Ed, that's it. Never again. This was a sign. We knew better. And, you know, God says rebellion is witchcraft. So that was in a way of rebellion. So thank you, Carol, because, <laughs> because of your ministry, I would have never known, you know, about the truth about Halloween. So tell me this, Carol, what does it mean when a person or when anybody lights up a jack-o'-lantern. What is the what is the light symbol? It goes back to what I said about the druids leaving the jack-o'-lantern on the front porch till morning, when um the one of the children had to be on the porch as a sacrifice to Soween, the god of the dead. Let me interject something real quick, Jen. When you were saying it before, think about this. Think about how sick this is. If I may, you go out with your children innocently. They go from door to door. When you get home, you got to check the candy for razor blades, poison. Think how evil, are you joking me right now? They're talking now about putting fentanyl in the candy and the children. It's crazy. It's like, now let me get this. This is a nice night for Halloween and we just dressed up as little angels and we're going to eat candy. And it's, I don't agree with all this, this damnation over Halloween and all the hype. Then you get home, pour your bag out on the, on the table and check for razor blades and poison and drugs. They're sticking drugs in the candy. They just pulled Skittles off the market because there's something in Skittles. They have to pull it right off the market that is poisoning your children. I mean, people, this isn't rocket science. Think about it. It's so obvious. An evil dark night. Well, what am I going to tell my kids? How about the truth? My little grandbabies never once complained. They never complained. They didn't go out. They never were mad. They were never upset. They didn't care. They were like, they were just taught that we don't do this and we don't have candy at the door. Well, they're just little children. Well, if you really care that much, then don't involve them in a paganistic celebration of the God of the dead by partaking. I keep my light off and I just love them from a distance. And then they say, well, we put scriptures in the candy and tell them how cute they look. You know, do whatever. But for me and my house, not at all. Never had a problem. Then you hear, and this is interesting too, Jenny, where they'll go, well, the church has a trunk or treat. Still celebrating. Go, you know what? I like to call the churches a city of refuge where you can take your kids. You don't partake of all the uh, dressing. Well, they're going to dress up. You're still, you can't get rid of it. You got to go to the root. You just can't cut off the top of the plant. It'll grow again. So telling them the truth when they come to the church, maybe having some other games, maybe different things, nobody dressing up, letting them have desserts and candies and play, but teaching them. We have got to the point where we don't even tell our kids the truth anymore. I did I just did a big thing on pagan holidays and I, we couldn't keep up with the numbers of people watching it just bringing all the root of pagan holidays. And not, that's not for now, but Halloween is not redeemable. 
And then and here's another thing, Jen. They'll say things like, well, you know, it's all hollow Eve's night. We're celebrating those who have died. They're dead. It's for men to be born, to die, and then the judgment. Why are you celebrating saints and praying? Oh, and it's real big too in witchcraft, ancestral, where we come and we visit with our ancestors. And that, that veil is thin in witchcraft where you can speak to your ancestors. And that's one of the things they called it very ancestral where you can talk to ancestors. So they go, well, we're just sell. They're dead. It's pitiful and terrible. I lost a brother. It's, but I don't want to go talking to them and necromancy that's forbidden in the word of God, because it ain't him. It's somebody who looks like him, acts like him, but it's not him. So that's huge too. The poison candy locking down the, uh, the, uh, excuse me, the shelters, honey, for the dogs. So that they actually double lock because you break in and take them. In the jack, I want to go back to the jack-o'-lantern. In the jack-o'-lantern, did they put candles in there and light them? No, human flesh, usually fat or some sort of a fat. They'd put a fat in there and then they put a real gory face in there. You got to study all this. Gory faces and, and then the, it would be lit and they'd put it right by the door of the place where the girl had to be sacrificed to Soween. These were, I mean, Mo look at Molech. He's been around forever. You see Moloch from the old times all the way back to Nimrod. He has a bull face and horns. And people are coming up in the statues, giving their children. It's nothing new. I'm not talking about something. I can't wrap my head around that. That's because you've been trained to believe it ain't true. Yeah. So, yeah, we've been trained. And then people come on and go, these people who make a big issue out of Halloween. It, it's not any of that. It's just a night of all holy night for the saints. And it's like. You know, talk to the hand because the head ain't listening, you know, <laughs> when you know the root. But that is, I'm sorry, honey. I'm so New York. I apologize. I love it. <laughs> but the jack-o'-lantern again, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get there's so much information, Jennifer. Forgive me if I go off on bunny trails. But the jack-o'-lantern was carved and placed on the front porch with a piece of either fat, maybe a candle, uh, and lit up and with a garly face and a hexagram on the door of the victim. And in the morning, if you're 13 year old or that young virgin had to be a virgin, pure blood, everybody suffered. Everyone wow. in the house. Wow. So and that's where we got that give or get punished, trick or treat. We'll come and do damage if you don't give us what we want. So that mantra, trick or treat, trick or treat, is coming from the root of the Druids who worship Soween. Wow. Not me out just talking about it. Wow. So don't even use the term trick or treat. Well, don't even go trick or treating, but no, don't even use the term not. because when you use the term, you're participating in Satan worship and satanic worship. And let me let me get real spiritual for you for a minute, Jenny. So I don't forget. I just want to share this with you. I call you Jen Jenny. I got eleven brothers and sisters. Everybody's got an E on the end of their name. <laughs> this is something that is so important that people understand. This is a night of strong spiritual activity very strong. Are you hearing me? Very strong. So there's demonic spirits. They're already out there, but now they're intensified. And when a Christian says to God, don't tell me what to do. My kids like it. I don't care the root. I don't care. It's paganism. Don't get in my face and start telling me what to do. I'm doing it anyway. What you've actually done is you've invited these unclean spirits. You have given them carte blanche. 
You're saying, I'm disobeying my father. So I'm giving you opportunity to come in and to torment me or later have problems or something come into my home. Because people go, I've been doing this for 15 years. I ain't had any problems. Okay, well, I'm happy to hear that. But that is a night of very strong demonic. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? It's demonic activity. And the unseen realm is loaded like a tsunami. So we're out there partaking of a pagan holiday as Christian believers, partaking of a God of the dead when we sec when we celebrate the God of the living, which is the total opposite. And we're doing all this and then we're expecting the ramifications. What's the point of, well, I want to, and, and you're so right, uh, but what's the point of bobbing for apples for Halloween? What's what's that the was just divination? I don't think anybody even bothers with that anymore. It was just divination. It was just, I don't even know the whole root of it, but I know that was, uh, you know, it was just a divination. Um, that and uh, there's a few things. I can't remember all because those are kind of old school now. People still do it, but it's kind of old school. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't really hear about bobbing for apples like you used to. Yeah. I mean, it was huge in the old day. And of course, I think it they had something to do with connection to um an uncle a spirit or uh fortune telling, as they called it in those days, fortune telling, which today we call, you know, psychic, you know, behaviors. So yeah. Mm -hmm. And how about haunted houses? Well, that all goes back to Soween, the God of the Dead, the haunted house is ghosts. That's why everything's haunted in ghosts and darkness, because Soween, when you remember the God of the Dead, everything has to do with the celebration of him. And he is a God of Dead. So graveyards, spiders, everything dark, bats, ghouls, ghosts. Uh, black cats, which black cats are black cats, but, you know, which is always believed. It's another thing that I believed when I was involved is that any animal, my girlfriend Linda had a white cat, a beautiful white cat. And then we had a bunch of kittens that that night they would be possessed by a spirit that spirits get in animals. They'll get in them. They'll use them as a host. That's why when uh, Jesus cast the demons out of that uh, demoniac, they said, can we go into the to the swine? And they wanted another host. So we believed on that particular night that the demons would go on a dog, preferably black, because again, darkness or a cat. There's a new episode on Netflix and it's about Jeffrey Dahmer. What, what do you say about that? Because it's, it's, it's come out around the time of Halloween time right now. What do you say about that right now? I say the devil's a pretty smart guy. He knows exactly when to get the gore out, first of all. I put this on my Facebook page and got a lot of responses because I have a lot of people on Facebook, but a tremendous. And I said to people, what's the matter with you? You will watch a series. Now, this is my opinion. I'm just saying you're sitting down and watching a series about a man who cut humans up after. Come on, you're going to watch it. Let's talk about it. After he raped them sodomized them did horrifying things to them and that's what he did then he would not that's what you're watching he cut them up and he ate them and some of them he froze what person and this goes for a lot of people watching this i'm certainly not saying anything to anybody i'm just telling you wants to sit down and hear about that what was going they're going well we're leaning psychologically what it caused him to be like that really is that your excuse does that work for you 
or um you know he he accepted the lord at the end well then we'll find out when we get there exactly what god decided with jeffrey but why do you want to sit down right before halloween notice it's Corey, it's cannibalism, it's bloodletting, it's demonic, and they made sure, I'll tell you, the devil does things. He put it right, and there's a new um, Halloween movie out with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael's worse than, I could never watch those things, even I just never was big on that stuff, but horror movies never did anything for me, but Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael's back, and he's stabbing and cutting, you get all these gore movies, so why do we want to sit down and know that somewhere the mother of one of those young boys is weeping, remembering. Now she's got to turn on TV and see this thing exploited like it's something famous and popular. The, the, the story of this sick, demented man who did horrible things. Well, Jesus forgives everybody. We're not talking about Jesus forgiving anybody. We're talking about you sitting down and being entertained by a sick, demon-possessed man who cannibalized human beings before he did the unspeakable did the unspeakable then cannibal why do you want to watch that jennifer it just boggles why do you want to sit there and watch that why i don't understand it's demonic and you're letting that stuff in your house people don't understand the the realm of the unseen they don't understand that telly television that has channels different channels in your home has the power to send through the screen all kinds of demonic stuff. And people just sit there like this for hours, kicking them to open a Bible and don't have any idea that you're downloading. This is not a condemnation. This is a godly loving from my heart warning. You're downloading all that. It's all being downloaded. The story of a man who did everything I just said a few times. I don't want to repeat it again. In your mind, you're downloading that. You're, it says, have the mind of Christ. You know, washing your mind with the word. And we're like, well, God, we just got to check out, you know, this Jeffrey Dahmer stuff, you know. And they love it. And you got to understand something, too. And, and let me say this, Jeff. There's either black or white and there's no in between if television is of god is that what he's putting out so if god is not behind the production direction and the filming and delivery of that through your television who is what are you watching what are you looking at what are you letting in your home with your children what are they downloading all day that babysitter called television I used to say to people, if television is not a God, why does every chair in the room have to face it? Well, that's good. I'd be very careful. And I'm so glad you mentioned that it's downloading because scientifically that sits and rests in your subconscious. So that's mm -hmm. really important. So does it really put curses on a family if one participates in trick-or-treating or the participating of Halloween? In this case, curses are huge. Uh, yeah, curses are very, I did a whole teaching on them, but I think we can bring curses on ourselves by our behavior. Look at Israel. What could happen to Israel? Because of what they did, because they're partaking of the paganistic worship when they came into the promised land. So curses came on. Um, 
and here's a good thing too, in regards to curses, you have to be open for people. Well, the word of God says curse without a cause is without effect. But if you're opening your eye gates, your ear gates, and your mind to something that God has forbidden, see, God's not trying to restrict you. He's trying to restrict Satan in your life. He's, he's warning you and defending you and protecting you. He doesn't want to restrict you. You have a free will, but he's trying to say, be careful. So there are things we can do where curses can come upon us. So if I'm living outside of the will of God, as did Israel, as I mentioned, then curses came upon it. In Deuteronomy, uh, they were told, if you read the, the, the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about all the blessings that if you obeyed God would come on God's people. And then the next moment, here's all the curses that would come on you if you disobeyed God. So God isn't cursing you or giving you curses. We're cursing ourselves. We're cursing ourselves by opening ourselves up to the things that God says, be careful. That's not a good idea. And we do it anyway. Don't tell me what to do. But if I should have a bad report from the doctor, God, or, or something happens, make sure you're there to answer. Make sure you take care of it. Have you thought of that? I mean, we'll say things like, uh, don't, it's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I don't think there's, I've been doing this for years. And it's like saying to God, you just hush. I can watch this. They're swearing. They're sexual behavior. My kids are saying it. Hush. Don't make a big thing out of it at what's coming on my TV. But if I get sick or something happens to me, make sure you take care of that Holy Spirit. Did you ever think of that? We wonder why the people of God today are walking through some of the things. We've opened up the door to tradition. And we're supposed to be opening up the door to the kingdom of God within us. And be able to say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Halloween, sorry, I don't care if you like me or don't like me. I don't care if my kids are mad at me for a week. I don't care if my daughter-in-law doesn't like me because I didn't go. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to bend my knee. I'm not doing it. And that's when your body, your walk with Christ becomes so strong, so secure. Amen. And speaking of that, your walk with Christ, how do you believe that Christian churches should participate at all in Halloween where trunk or treats or hallelujah harvest party or any of that stuff. What is your, what is your aspect on it? For me? Um, I said earlier, uh, a city of sa uh, a sanctuary, a city of, of safety and sanctuary. Okay. It's Halloween night. I want to take my two grandchildren somewhere instead of the mall. And we're certainly not going to go to the show because all the movies are so bad, but I'm, would hope that I could go to the church and they're going to be very careful how we handle that particular night. We're not going to partake of the rituals and the traditions of Halloween, but this is a city of, of refuge where you will come. As I said earlier in the, in the interview, you where you'll come and we'll play games, but none of the things that go on in the traditions of the Halloween celebration of sowing the God of the dead, no dressing up. So it can be a city of refuge. It really can. Jennifer, will you we're taking the kids to church? We're not going to have a service. We got enough of those on Sunday and Wednesday and Tuesday nights. So we're just going to take them and have fun with them and have some get up and tell them the truth. Just tell them to children, this is why we don't do it. This is why. And they understand. And then they're, okay, mommy, I get it. Now we're going to play games and have fun. And we're not doing this to celebrate the, the day. And some people like to say a harvest. Yeah, if you want, that's God's day. We've got to be right. We're not going to throw away the 31st of October because demons got their hands in it and demigods got their hands on it. 
but we certainly want to switch it to we're celebrating the one not so much harvest harvest has a lot to do with um uh oh yeah equinox and uh solaces you got to be careful with harvest but to say we're going to celebrate the beauty of god's creation this autumn and we're going to collect leaves and we're going to do pictures and stuff yeah if you can turn it around away from the tradition yeah that's good so no dressing up would you say no passing out candy either i wouldn't Carol, what would you say to a parent who's listening to you? It's soaking in and they're saying to themselves, okay, I don't want my family to have anything to do with Halloween now, but how do I tell my children? What is your advice? How would you, how would you, I guess, instruct or say, you know, tell a person how to speak to their children about Halloween? I think it's it's the way my daughter Marilyn and I did. We just sat them down. And, you, you know, say, for example, I've been doing it for a while. And then I hear a teaching or I read something and I learned something about Halloween. And it kind of was like, I don't think so. I would sit them down and tell them, we've been doing this every year. And I know your friends do it. And I get it. And it is fun. And there is candy. You don't go, oh, it's demonic and evil because they won't get it. And, and I know. But you know what? I just found out that this is a night for the devil. And all these traditions that we're doing they're not good. Let me show you some things. And then I'd show them some visuals always work. I've used visuals on a lot of my programs because once they see it, they won't forget it. So I'll show them pictures. I'll look at this. And do you understand why that's that way? And look at this and explain it to them and then tell them, do you understand? Do you have any questions? You know, you don't just throw the baby out in the bathroom and start screaming. It's demonic and running through the house, screaming, casting devils out. You sit on and you're talking to them, honey, and tell them, listen, this is what I found out. What do you think? Well, mommy, it's so much fun. I know I liked it too. I did it when I was, but I just, do we really want to do this? And teach them and then tell them that you've made a decision that you're not going to partake and that you're sorry that their children feel that way. And then you get some really rebellious kids and, you know, I don't know what to tell you. We'll scream at the devil, but we're afraid to yell at Johnny and tell him no. You know, it's kind of an unusual situation. It's so true. I love having you on, Carol. Um, thank you. And I want to ask you to pray for those who are watching right now who are learning a load of what you just mentioned about Halloween, its origins, and what God really wants for us, as opposed to what the devil wants for us. So could you pray for the people watching today that you will give them the courage and the boldness? to have a change of heart when it comes to Halloween. And also for those who just want to serve God and not be distracted by the distractions this October and the first two days of November. I'd like to uh, say thank you very much for having me out, Jen. Uh, You're an incredible interviewer. You really do let your, your people share. It's a freedom when you get on and you feel like your interviewer is saying, go for it. If you're connecting, go for it. I really appreciate that. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you and your audience. And now I'll pray. Thank you, Carol. Just take a deep breath, everyone. You're out there. Just take a deep breath. You took in a lot today, a lot of information. And some of it's like, whoa, mind boggling, like, whoa. So let's just stop for a minute, take a deep breath. And just remember that the Holy Spirit is, and so you're not just talking words into the atmosphere, the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is inside of you right now to lead you and guide you as I upon you. And so, Heavenly Father, we come to you in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Father, we come into the throne room of grace 
to obtain mercy at a time of need. And Father, this tradition has become very strong in our lives and the people around us, Father God, partake. And Father, we want to be the Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednego's, the three youths that wouldn't bow their knee to the idol, no matter what the cost. Father, strengthen us in our inner man. Strengthen us. Give us a bold speech to speak in love and kindness and peaceful to our children, to those that would oppose us. Father, raise us up a bold army for you that run on the city and on the walls and we carry your word. Father, teach us to release these things that have attached themselves to us because of tradition. Father, I pray for every family out there in the matchless name of your beloved son. I pray, Father, the warm living blood of Jesus come upon their minds, hearts, tongues, souls, everything, Father, a spiritual pouring of the warm living blood of Jesus, that they'll walk out, Lord God, stronger because information is knowledge. And we thank you, Father God, that we will take these things and we will follow them, Father, because they glorify you. And we pray in the matchless, holy, sacred name of your beloved son, our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. 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 Carol, you are a spitfire, a warrior for Christ. This is why I had you on. Thank you so much. You didn't disappoint. I know God's smiling right now. And um, I would love to have you on again one day in the future. That'll be great. Any subject you want to cover. <laughs>